You're now listening to the River Claremont Podcast. We've been in a series on spiritual warfare. It's good to actually teach on spiritual warfare and actually feel victory in the place. Hey Amen. I've, I've had the opposite where people teach it and you feel like you just walk out defeated. But we've gone through various things last week just reminding people about the, the beauty it is that you are saved as a born-again believer. How do I know I'm saved? Well, because Christ paid the price for you. So if you want it, by faith you grab a hold of it and you can have the assurance of salvation because the price has already been paid. Amen. Amen. If you don't want it, that's up to you. You know what I'm saying? If you don't really want to be saved, then you're not saved. And that's just how it is. But if you want Jesus and you received him by faith, declare it from your mouth. Sometimes you feel saved. Sometimes you feel he's close. Sometimes you feel he's far from you, you know. But that doesn't, we're not, we don't walk by feelings thank God and we don't walk by sight thank God we walk by faith amen so who's saved in here shout amen. amen if you're not saved today we'll give an altar call and you can do so but I wanted to finish this series up I'll call today's uh, sermon title five smooth stones so you can immediately know where I'm talking about David and Goliath but I'm going to roll through various things first Samuel chapter 17 verse 40 says he picked up five smooth stones, 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine, Goliath. And Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. But David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. It's great Christmas, you know, (laughs) scripture to read. What, What did the kids learn in church today? Yeah, kill and cut off the head of the enemy. It's like that song, The Great Defender. And we always sing that. You came back with the head of my enemy. I always wince at that because I'm like, there's 12-year-olds in here. And I'm like, I know it's scriptural. But should we put a melody to it and have a 10-year-old sing it? It says, then I will give the dead body. Oh, it picks up from here on out. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear, for this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Amen. I'm going to roll from that today, but I'm going to talk about, obviously in a spiritual warfare, as a born-again believer, full of faith, full of the Spirit of God, our job is not to maintain or defend against the enemy. It's actually to take territory. Our job is to be on the offensive side. Amen. Where we are like, devil, we're coming after you. You can plan, you can plot to try and do something to us, but we'll be too busy taking ground from you to even care, and the Lord will carry our rear guard, as the Bible says. A couple of takeaways from um, this is what you don't confront, you will never defeat. If you're all the armies of Israel sat there in stark terror, afraid to go out and face Goliath, and it took one ruddy-faced shepherd boy to show up bringing food, on a, on a really just an ordinary assignment, God wove supernatural divine destiny into it. But in your life, if there's an area 
that you're not getting victory in. There's something that's plaguing you, something even, even, even with your own family. And we'll, I'm going to get into the, some of the weapons today, but even with your own your kids, things like that, refuse to accept defeat and rather know that what if I confront it, then that's when victory comes. Amen? You've got to be willing to confront things, addictions, things of the past, financial problems, marital issues. Stop running from them, thinking that they'll just suddenly fix themselves. Sometimes you've got to turn and face the spiritual giants in your life and take them out. And if it's demonic, you definitely have to face it. Come on. If it's a demonic attack from hell, you've got to turn and face and gear up for war and get that thing out of your life, out of your house, out of your family, out of your body. In Jesus' name, amen. So what you don't confront, you will never defeat. A lot of people running around, staying perpetually in a place. They're not moving ahead because they're too scared to turn and face what needs to be faced. Number two takeaway is you actually win the battle without fighting. As David said, this is not a battle won through sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. Amen. I win in my life not because I'm the greatest orator, the greatest educated the most fantastic preacher, or anything like that. I win in my life because I understand the battle is not mine, it is the Lord's. And if I, through faith, believe, adhere, and run after the things of God, I can trust His character. It's better than my character, and He is faithful all the time. And God will fight the battle. Amen. Now, how do you fight that battle? That's, that's faith, basically. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith, when we talked about the demonic, the good fight of faith is understanding the fight is the strongholds, the attacks that come against the mind within your thought realm to weigh you down, to bombard you, which becomes an open door for all-out demonic possession or demonic oppression to the point where people aren't even thinking in their own natural mind anymore. When you talk to a crazy person and they tell you there's voices, there are voices, those voices are demonic. You know what I'm saying? You don't wake up one day, you're not born and just like destined to be a serial killer or someone like that. It's through doors opened. And we fight the fight of faith, which is believing God's word over things going on around us. And you've got to fight that fight. Come on, somebody. When you win without fighting. And number three, the reward is better than the risk or the cost. Every battle you go into, some people fight battles on and on. And they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. Going back to the aggressive side, as, as, as the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God suffereth violent and the violent take a prize in it through, through, well, through violence. <laughs> through aggression. So you're to take ground. Well, if, the spiritual, if you're going to fight a spiritual battle, there is a reward attached to it. You know, twice David asked the king, and then another person, if I defeat Goliath, what do I get? It wasn't like he's like, I'm just going to do it because I, I, he's like, there's a, there's a reward attached to spiritual fights. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Come on. So if you found yourself fighting for 15 years for something, see, some people, they call it a spiritual attack, but really what it is, you're actually just opening the door to the devil through addictions, through poor living, through looking at the wrong stuff, things like that. And you're stuck perpetually in a place of defeat, ultimately. And you call it a spiritual battle where the devil's trying to get you. No, what it is is you've opened the door. A spiritual battle for a believer is where we're aggressively taking territory and there's a reward attached to it. Amen.
If I'm going to fight a battle, I'm going to either advance the kingdom, I'm going to advance my finances, I'm going to sweeten my marriage. Something good is at the other side of that battle. If you believe it, shout amen. God doesn't just have you perpetually in a state of being beaten down for no good reason. Everywhere in the word you read where they fought a battle, there was always rewards attached to the victory. That's the God that we serve. If you believe it, shout it's true. And the reward is better than the risk or cost. Number four, you have a good destiny. David knew it. David believed it. David, a shepherd boy, believed he had a good destiny in God. As a, as a person on this planet, everything in this world is stacked against you to tell you that you don't matter, that you're just an average person, that you're mediocre at best. All of those thoughts, you'll never make a diff big difference. You're never going to be number one. You've got to believe in the firm blessing of God and the call of God that you have a destiny from heaven and that destiny matters in Jesus name and it's a good destiny not an average one not a mediocre one and when you start believing it in yourself that's when you fight the right battles talk about spiritual warfare today there's a lot of people that just don't even believe there's great things in their life that God has orchestrated for them whether that be the church's teaching or whatever it is you've got to believe God has got something great in mind for me and I'm gonna find that thing in Jesus name amen I'm not average I'm not just another set of lungs I'm a temple filled with the fullness of God come on so devil you can huff you can puff but this house is built on the solid rock and it will not fall amen I was actually thinking about that today how a lot of like the nursery rhymes we grew up with are just like becoming a thing of the past because of social media it's like, I don't even know if my kids know the story of the tortoise and the hare. These are, or the princess and the pea I was thinking about. Like, these are important things that have just, a generation has lost. They'll never know about 17 mattresses and one pea. We need to teach these things, right? How many people know the moral of the, the princess and the pea? The person of high caliber, a person of understanding, can find something even small that is off if they're aware of things. It's the call of God for your life. Number five, know when to rest, know when to pa have patience, know when to fight, and know when to celebrate. There's a time of rest, there's a time of celebration, there's a time to go out and fight. Amen? Thank God that we're not always fighting every day of our life. Thank God for breakthrough and relief. So... I'm going to talk today about five weapons the Lord has given us. I could go through Scripture and give you tons of different weapons. It's all throughout the Bible. But today I wanted to highlight five smooth stones, five weapons used in the church for spiritual warfare. The first one is intercessory prayer. I cannot stress enough how much generations ride on the prayers of those that went before them. You look at the things of God, you look at Scripture, you look at things that go on, intercessory prayer is where a person allows the Spirit of God to pour through them and speak in such fervency that they begin to dictate things that happen around them at a national level, for those in their family, for those in the church. Paul would even say, pray for us spiritual leaders that we don't fall away ourselves from the attacks. Pray for those around you. Intercessory prayer, as the Scripture says in Ezekiel, God sought for a man that would stand in the gap, but he could find no person. Oftentimes, generations, it's like you see, if you just look at a spiritual understanding throughout the generations, 
There's been times in, gone by that nations were just, I mean, in upheaval. Britain, England, in total debauchery in the 1500s. And then there was a, a move of God that arose that shook the nation, turned it back to God. Glorious revival. You have great births of moves of God. The Scots-Irish in the 1500s birthing the Presbyterian movement that went around the world and shook the nations of the world, born from the fires of revival. And all of it ultimately comes back to every time you read of a true move of God, traces back to people called by God to pray something into existence. Come on. Even tracing the Azusa Street revival and you hear all the components of the William Seymour that preached on a stoop and a woman that was called to go to the Topeka, Kansas outpouring and prayed fervently that God would send a revival to shake Los Angeles. And what did God do? God wrote on the prayers of his people. Intercessory prayer is where you intercede for the body, for the leaders, for a move of God, for marriages, and for a nation. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says, I exhort you, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that may, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. There's two ingredients I just want to hit for intercessory prayer that the Bible says is the key to the prayer being effective. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Number one is fervency. A fervent heart. What does that mean? If you are praying for someone and don't actually care about that person, your prayers are not going to really be that great. That's where, as a child of God, you've got to ask the Lord, give me a heart of compassion. Give me a heart of love. Let the Spirit of God flow through me that when I pray for someone, I pray from a place of fervency. Amen. Come on. And you've been told to actually pray for those that do you wrong. You've been called to bless your enemies. You need the help of God to do that effectively. Amen. Come on. Fervency should be in your prayer life. It should look like you're going to war. It should look like one of those haka dances that the New Zealand rugby team shows up, you know, Where's the fervency, you know what I'm saying? Please, don't be a person that says, Father God, 75 times and one other thing. <laughs> Father God, I thank you, Father God, that in your great ways, Father God, that if possible, Father God, you can move Father God in this nation, Father God. Please. He knows who he is. If the Lord did roll his eyes, I'm sure he just rolled them now. Oh God, here they go again. fervency fervency takes you to a place that's unscripted and that's where true prayer is see we get in our minds it's got to sound poetic it's got to be well thought out fervency takes you past the place of of, of poeticness I mean even in the in the thing of understanding of everything you just are fervently crying out I mean you you God touch them God save them God move Lord I don't know how but please change this in Jesus' name. And we're supposed to pray that way for our loved ones, but also for leaders in the church. 
and also for government leaders around us. Come on, somebody. And that's hard. <laughs> Father, give us a heart of compassion. No, to pray through for the nation. And I'm going to go through this here in a bit. But the second ingredient the Bible tells you for effective prayer is righteousness. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When we're talking about intercessory prayer, you've got to live right to get it right. And you might be able to talk the Christianese, walk the Christianese, look the part. But if in your heart of hearts, your distance from, from God is evident, then guess what? Because of your own personal decisions and drawing away from God, your prayers become less effective. The Bible says that his ears are open to the righteous. Amen. Well, what is righteousness? Is that something that I do on my own? No, I don't do it on my own. Righteousness is where my unrighteousness was exchanged for his righteousness. Amen. But I have to be willing to draw near to Christ. I have to run to God, not from God. Amen. I have to recognize, be quick to repent, throw myself down at the foot of the cross. And if I screw up, I cry out for mercy. It's that draw. And it's an internal thing where you're either pointed with your heart towards God, trying to draw near, or you're pointed away, trying to see what you can get away with. And that's something you have to check in your life. That's why the Revelations talks about the, the temperature of your heart. I would that you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. It's a lot of lukewarm believers. They're just halfway in the church, halfway in the world. And then we wonder, why do we have problems? Why is the church not glorious? Why is the revival not shaking America? Why are these things happening in the elections? Why is all this wickedness happening? Why, why do we have all this craziness? Look at America. It is absolutely insane. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't get a tattoo till you're 18, but you can go mutilate your body. That's where we're at. We are at the height of stupidity. But it's not stupidity. It's demonic and its source but the church because whatever a person is not willing to confront whatever one generation tolerates the next one will celebrate and ultimately we've got to call righteousness back into the church whether you like us or don't like us I'm living for God you can take everything that is not of God away from me and I promise I don't care I will not miss it because it has no part in my life anyways my heart is fully his and then the Bible, because the Bible says, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal, forgive their sins and I will restore their land. Famous bit of scripture and talking about interceding for the nation. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7, I want to read, talking about intercession. It says, build your homes and plan to stay. Come on. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Good job, Brecken. Find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Come on. We're working on our oldest daughter right now. <laughs> Get married. We want to be the hip, cool grandparents already. <laughs> multiply, it says. Shout multiply. <laughs> Do not dwindle away. And, the wor and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Now, this is the call in Jeremiah speaking about when they're being sent into exile. This is the instruction from God. Even when going into a hostile territory as 
a captive. This is the command of God. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, produce, marry, have offspring, have grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away, work for peace and prosperity in the city. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Someone says, I don't care about what happens in America. Well, the Bible says the welfare of the nation will determine my welfare. So as a child of God, my job in America is to believe the word and thrive on the word so that the entire nation of America can see the word of God working. Come on. We got to stand for these things right now. The enemy's job is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants this nation so broke, so defeated, so struggling that there is no hope left in the land. But guess what? As long as there's a born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled believer that knows the Word of God, that walks in the covenant promises of heaven, we will see that the nation itself will walk in the goodness of God. Our presence makes a difference. Do you believe it? Shout amen. That's why Christians should have more babies. Don't leave it up to the Duggars. <laughs> Who's believing for kids? Anybody? <laughs> Hans was about to raise his hand. Maddie grabbed that hand and jerked it down. <laughs> We've done our part, honey. You're walking in the promises of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So it matters. Intercessory prayer. And then pray for church leaders. When you make it your job to pray through the leaders, the generals, the church, pray for me. Pray for the pastors of this church. When you really pray from a place of compassion for your leadership, it really knits you in to what God is doing in this place. Yeah. We were preaching in Metlakatla, Alaska. Anybody ever heard of Metlakatla? It's an island off the Ketchikan. The Simshi and Indian tribe lived there. They were cannibals. Until a, a, a man of God actually showed up and, and felt the call of God to witness to him. Showed up to a cannibal tribe, witnessed the gospel to him. They actually all got born again, all got saved and stopped eating people. That's a victory right there. How many people agree with that? How many people want to be called to a cannibal tribe? Nobody, exactly. We all have common sense. Amen. Thank God. One person be like. But when we were there in Metlakatla, this was the history of the place. This had happened in the 1700s or 1800s or something. It was like a, I think it was a Scottish guy even that did it. And so the history was there. But now when you're there, the island is just ransacked with poverty alcoholism, incest, all sorts of darkness in the place like that. And we were preaching in an Assembly of God church, and they didn't have a pastor. And I'm talking to the leadership and the previous pastors. He got cancer. The previous pastor before that, wife's got cancer. The one before that turned into alcohol, uh, alcoholism and, and fell away from the faith. And you start seeing a history in this dark area where the leadership, those that have been sent there, by the kingdom of God to make a difference fail. And when I hear that, it grieves my heart. I'm like, then we need to pray for church leaders. Right. You know what I'm saying? You got to pray for those sent into the darkest of places of all things. Man, Lord, cover them, fill them, 
Keep them in charge. Let the blood of Jesus be on their doorposts. Let no sickness, let no disease, let no infection, let no cancer find its way in that house. Keep them healthy, give them energy, give them power, give them authority. And you pray, and the intercessory prayers of the church do make a difference. Just ask Peter how he got out of prison. Come on, somebody. He got out because a group of people made it their job to pray him out of that house. Intercession is a weapon used in the church. If you've been praying for something and you're like, it's never going to happen, charge up and pray the thing through and keep saying it. Amen. Come on, somebody. Next is praise. Shout praise. My praise is a weapon. Isn't that a song? It's impossible to praise the Lord and remain heavy. It's like you have, when you really praise, you can't praise the Lord, shout glory, hallelujah, and get to that place of jumping up and down in His presence full of excitement and walk away still feeling defeated by, by the enemy. Praise is a weapon that the Bible says is to combat the heaviness that the enemy wants to put on you. There's a lot of heavy people running around America. And they try and, they try and medicate that heaviness with prescription pills, with alcohol, with all sorts of things to numb that in the inside of them. But guess what? As a child of God, if you praise, you can break that heaviness off and it will not touch you in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. When Paul and Silas were thrown in the prison in Acts chapter 19, the Bible says, obviously in the midnight hour, they began to praise the Lord singing unto the Lord and it says that the place was shaken like an earthquake and doors swung open and shackles fell off and that's miraculous so we see in scripture just the act of praise alone actually supernaturally broke physical barriers in their life and the the, the jailsmen came running into the place and threatened to take his own life because he was sure that they had escaped and Paul cried out do not take your life we are here. And the guy fell at their feet and said, what must I do to be saved? So their praise actually broke open a whole household to be saved. Amen. Our praise is a weapon. Come on, somebody. People walk into church all the time. They don't know freedom. They don't know the grace of God. They don't know the glory of God. And we have heard regularly from testimonies of people just in our place. They're like, why do you have such long praise and worship? Because it's spiritual warfare. Yeah. Because we're breaking things open in Jesus' mighty name. We're tearing down strongholds. We're breaking chains. We're binding the devil in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise is a weapon. And the more fervent that praise is, it's like you feel the anointing of God flowing through you when you praise. Be a praiser, not a drainer. Amen. Amen. Praise broke open people's hearts. People walk in all the time, man, and they testify. It was before the end of praise and worship. It's like things in me just came alive. So grateful for it. So, so blessed by that. We want that in this church. Amen. Amen. Because it's freedom, it's life, it's liberty, and the Bible says he rides in on the praises of his people. Amen. So every time we praise, it's like Christ comes returning and swooping right in. Yeah. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to fight a battle, I feel a lot safer if Jesus is right beside me. Yeah. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, you know that's right. You guys are awesome this morning. I'll take you anywhere. I love you. 
What's that? Did I do it wrong? Was my heart deformed? Huh? You squished the heart? Is this a thing? People are doing it all over. Oh, you love me too? I love you too. There it is. We have a moment. And his heart grew three sizes that day. I was feeling a little sad and grumpy. But now because of the love, I feel the love. <laughs> Intercessory prayer, praise. Which praise, as I've heard some preachers say, praise is a form of prayer. Because ultimately it's getting into the declaration of the goodness of God, the power, the authority that he walks in. And if you speak about the Lord, he shows up. Guess what? The battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And great things are about to happen. Amen? Uh, number three, this is the number one weapon I utilize that, that I firmly believe in. The Bible says in Luke 3.16 that Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Shout fire. fire. Numbers. And Hebrews declares that our God is an all-consuming fire. I pray for the fire of God to be in my life. I pray for the fire of God to be on our staff. And I pray for the fire of God in this church. The fire of God is the active, life-changing, life-forming presence of God that as Malachi 3 says, who can stand the day of His coming? For He is like a refiner's fire like a purifier of silver and gold. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit that comes to burn out the chaff of your life. Every person in here has chaff. That chaff is jealousy, lust, all the junk, the works of the flesh that want to dominate your mind, dominate your thoughts that is constantly warring on the inside of you. And the fire of heaven comes to help consume those things out of your life that you might be purified and be called the sons of God. I pray for the fire because if a church has the fire, guess what? Anybody that's playing games will not last in the place. You can't stand the heat of the kitchen if you're playing games. And that's why we pray it. And then people are like, man, you could grow the church a lot quicker if you didn't pray for that. Yes, but I would have a lot of people in the church that are hell-bent, sent from hell to bring division, pain, suffering, tears sown in among the weeds. And I'd rather pray the fire of God in the place every day. And if they're not meant to be with us, we love you, but don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Amen. It's because otherwise you wind up in all of these battles, all of these things. It's an internal battle, and it's the same in your own personal life. If you can't get victory on the inside, you're never going to get victory on the outside. And so the church is a body. So as a leader, I'm praying, God, let the fire be in this place so that we call and arm like all the church together to fight for something. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we need a miracle. Someone's been in a car wreck, and we send it out in this church. We want warriors that show up with paint on, bandanas tied, Rambo knives just in case, that can pray something through, that have a heart that's on fire for God. And the fire of God is a protection because if you're on fire for God, offense rolls off of you. Man, I'm too busy. I'm too excited about what God is doing to get nitpicked about what someone else is doing. I love you, but I'm moving on to the things of God. 
My God is on the move right now, and I'm telling you, get ready, because it's bigger than anything you've ever seen before, and I'm a part of that move in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In my view, Claremont is not some little town in Lake County. It is an epicenter for the glory of God to shake the nations of the world. What God is doing in this congregation will not be stopped by any work of the devil. It will go forth in Jesus' name. We will see a move of God. We will see America shaken. And bless God, we'll be on fire every step of the way. Single people, you love God with all your heart. Do not compromise and marry a person that is lukewarm and thinking, I'll get them on fire. You want to find your spouse at the altar, on fire, right beside you. Man, I tell you, it'll save you a lot of problems. You can work through anything in a marriage if you're both turned on towards God. But if one shuts down and the other one's trying to run, there's that constant friction and division in the house. Intercession can turn it, but if you're going to get married, find the one that's on fire in Jesus' name. You know, when I was in Bible college, I found my Bible. It's an old King James Version Bible my parents gave me. And on the front of it, I wrote prayers all the way back in Bible college. And on those prayers, I wrote, Father, I thank you. If I could find it, I'd read it directly. But basically, I said, Lord, let the fire of God burn in my heart every day of my life. And if I ever start complaining or ever start drawing away from you, Lord, do not remove the fire, but increase it upon my life. And I told the Lord years ago, I said, put me on the shortest lease imaginable. If I leash, did I say it right? Because if I take one step off, I want you to pull me right back on track. I don't want to be the person to spend 15 years chasing something I ain't supposed to chase. Amen. And I can testify the Lord will jerk you right back. You're like, hey, this is okay. Not, not, not today. <laughs> Thought it was the Lord. Evidently, it's not. He'll protect you. As a leader, I pray. I believe this is the number one weapon to use against division and witchcraft. Because everywhere Jesus went, who carried the fire of God, demons would manifest. They can't stay where the fire of God is. It's a revealing fire. It reveals things that are hidden. Proverbs says twice, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end thereof is death. Without the fire of God burning in your life, you can't even trust your own thoughts or your own motives. But when you meet God and He actively gets on the inside and He starts consuming things of this world out of your life, then that's where you start having that purification and you realize, I need to make that right. I need to go talk to that person. When I met God and He set my life ablaze, I had to go to people and repent. I had to go to family members and tell them I did that wrong. I shouldn't have done that to you. I shouldn't have said that. It was like a consuming fire that illuminated things for me to deal with. Amen. The fire of God is a protection. And people say about the, you know, the move of God. Well, I just don't know about all of this Holy Ghost and all of that. Look, it is, if you drift away from the Holy Spirit or the fire of God, it is Jesus that is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. What you're drifting away from is not some made-up, fanciful thing from the assembly of God doctrine, or it is Jesus Christ, the King and the, of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who you draw away from. Because he's the one that brought the fire, Uncle Joe. It's good to have Uncle Joe with us again this morning. <laughs> Jesus said in Luke 12, I have come to set the world on fire. 
This is Jesus. And I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. That's crazy talk. I thought, we, I thought Jesus was Emmanuel, peace to all men. But he's saying, you think I've come just for that? He did bring peace, but he brought the kingdom of God's peace. And what he's talking about now is he's talking about the fire of heaven upon a life that will divide those that don't have a heart towards God and those that do. Amen? Amen. That's why he said, I came to bring division. When I got radically saved at 19, 20 years old, friends for many years drifted away from me. They would have nothing to do with me and called me a fanatic, a lunatic, because I went after God. But guess what? If you look and look at their life right now, they're doing exactly what we did in high school. Some of them are nearly 40 years old, still dating high school girls. That should be illegal. I think it is illegal. But I'm from Tennessee, so a lot is questionable. I got a, we got a one-star review the other day because someone said he was making fun of Tennessee, and that's not very Christ-like. Can't even pick on where you come from anymore. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're right, I should have picked on Kentucky. We'd have got a five star for that. Amen. <laughs> Everybody agrees. No, just joke. Only thing Kentucky, the only thing Kentucky's got is horses and fried chicken. And bluegrass. And big derby hats. That's about it, though, right? <laughs> the fire of God is a dividing line. It's a protection for the church. When you pray for the fire of God in your life, things will come to the surface. Things will be manifest. Arguments, thoughts, strongholds of the mind that then you can deal with that you didn't know you had to deal with before. Strengthens you. Going through the test of the fire is one of the greatest things you can do as a child of God. Amen. Now if I can get the ushers to begin to pass out communion. The last weapon I want to talk about today is communion. Communion is basically, as we spoke last year, about building altars in your life. Places of remembrance of what the Lord has done in your life. Communion is an altar. To remember what the Lord has done. To remember what He endured, what He gave, willingly for you and for I. It is a place of covenant. That I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard of people that were diagnosed with cancer throughout the years. And made it a priority in their life to daily take communion. Remind themselves of the promises of God. And they were supernaturally healed by God. Because God doesn't... Everything in Scripture is not just some fantasy novel written to make you feel like maybe there's hope there is absolutely healing in the kingdom of god Amen. now does everybody get healed no and there's a variety of reasons why that i've taught extensively throughout the years on divine healing and various scriptural hindrances to why people don't get healed but the bible says he has removed the handwriting and the requirements for us to enter into the promises of god he did that through his blood and through his broken body. 
I want you to think about this this morning when we take communion, because Jesus himself said, if you could turn me down, it's pretty hot. He himself said to do this in remembrance of what he had done. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. It's interesting when you read that in Scripture. People are like, where is the healing power of God? Well, do you honor the church? Do you honor what Christ has done is what he's saying. Is it from a place of true surrender to God, a worthiness, or as Scripture, if you keep reading it, it basically says some people just showed up, thought they were better than other people, and would eat and drink until they were drunk. And other people would show up to take communion and there would be no wine and no bread left because those that thought themselves better than others had already feasted on it. It's crazy to think, right? This day and age, we use grape juice and a little morsel of styrofoam bread. That way, nobody wants to eat a lot of it. (laughs) No thanks, one's enough. But Scripture's talking about that because what they're saying is it goes back to, I believe it's Romans that says, you know, to humble yourself and to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. That as a, a person in the body of Christ is to recognize without the body, without a body to belong to, without a family, a community that God has built in my life, without leaders that speak, without prophets that prophesy, without everything Christ has ordained in the church to be here, where would I be without them? Because my heart was turned on towards God, but someone had to come and find me and bring me to church. I, I, I could be on fire for God, but someone had to give me clear direction and pour into me throughout the years. This is what you should do. This is not what you should do. And I believe that's what it's saying. And then also back to the righteousness of fervent prayer. There's a lot of people that want salvation, but they don't want a Lord. And you don't don't get to choose salvation and not receive a Lord. And a Lord is someone that can dictate to you what you can and cannot do. Where you can go, where you can't go, what you need to do, what you don't need to do. That's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if I was to just remove all direction from the Holy Spirit from my life, I can promise you I would not be here in Claremont. I would not be pastoring. I would be doing something entirely different. But to follow his voice and let him be the Lord of your life is going to cost you, number one, it will protect you from a lot of problems. 
Because then anywhere God leads you into, if there is a battle, you know the victory of the battle is already assured because God would not send you into defeat. Amen. Amen. But communion is a place of remembrance. When you take the bread, you remember the fact that, yes, salvation was part, but Isaiah 53 tells us that salvation was not the only part that Christ paid on that day. That included in your salvation was divine healing, that by His stripes you could be healed. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. It's not a supplemental add-on. It's not something Pentecostals created in the 20s to give a better altar call. It is something ordained from Christ Himself that He willingly... If you understand what he endured, the Bible says he was whipped 39 times with a cat of nine tails. That as it tore his flesh, it would reveal the muscle underneath. And then as they tore again, it would reveal the bones underneath. I'm talking, I think somewhere in scripture, it mentions that possibly even his internal organs were visible. He was shredded. Shredded so that you and I could be healed. So for a person in the church to believe in divine health. And the healing power of God is not arrogance or cockiness. It's humility to say, if my Lord and Savior was going to do that, then I'm going to receive the full effect of that in my life. And I'm going to do that in remembrance. And the, the world can mock me. People can ridicule me. But he endured something that no one in this church could endure. So that you and I could believe in health today. Now, how it manifests is different. I know a minister of the gospel that doesn't even have a hip bone. He was born and they said he would never walk because without a hip bone, you cannot walk. And he's walked every day of his life. Once, well, not when he was a baby. As he grew, people were like, he came out walking. That is a miracle. And a little bit creepy. If, you, if he goes and gets an x-ray now, there is nothing attaching his leg to his hip. There is no hip socket, there is no connection, and yet he walks every day of his life. It's an absolute, bona fide, continuous miracle from God. When he was born and his family said that they were told by the doctor he'll never walk, they joined hands, prayed over their son and said, he will walk for the glory of God. Guess what? He's walking, talking, shouting, preaching. He's a preacher. He preaches the river of Tri-Cities in the, Knox, in, in the Knoxville, Johnson, well, Johnson, Johnson City region. It's a miracle. There are people walking around all over the earth that shouldn't even be alive. But by the grace of God, there they are. People born blind that supernaturally see. People born without hearing that supernaturally hear. There's documented miracles of people without even eardrums that can hear. There's no reason scientifically but by the grace of God. When we take communion, you're reminding yourself of every miracle you've ever heard of. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not a respecter of persons. Come on, somebody. So I can take this, number one, if I'm sick in my body and believe for healing, I can take it if I'm well in my body and believe for supernatural divine health. Come on. Today as a church, we're going to take this. This bread that represents that body that endured so much for you and I. And by faith and humility, we receive the full effect of that healing power within us. Fathers, we take this bread in remembrance of what you gave for us. Lord, I thank you for humility in our hearts. I thank you for faith within us to receive the full gift that you purchased that day. 
By your blood you washed our sins away. You purchased us on Calvary's cross and you made us a royal bloodline. Brought us into a family that we know we did not previously have access to. You forever removed the stain of sin over our lives. But with your body, God, you allowed that body to be broken, to be, to be torn asunder, so that today in our own bodies we could receive the healing power of God. I pray over every person under the sound of my voice, if there are any that came in here with any symptom, not of you, God, any symptom of sickness, any symptom of the flu, any infection, any cancer, anything wrong within them, we declare by faith that the healing power of God is in this place. And today we don't eat a dry piece of bread. We eat the broken body of God that brings within us the divine healing nature of heaven forevermore. Over my household, over my children, over everywhere I go, this covenant is mine in Jesus' name. I take it now. Father, thank you for that. We thank you for your healing power. I've witnessed in my life, I mean, many have heard the testimony of Ellie that I constantly remind myself on, of our daughter that would have died, lump swelling on her, brain, on her head, eyes rolled in the back of her head, doctors on strike in South Africa. Walked in there and just laid my hand upon it and supernaturally, instantaneously healed by God. And it's a constant reminder when you see those things, no matter what the world throws at you, God is who God says he is. And he will do what he says he will do every time. God is an eradicator of problems. When you follow God, problems have a way of being dealt with in Jesus' name. Hold up the cup now. This cup represents the covenant of God, a blood covenant that you and I would have failed, have failed, even after salvation, many people drift and then come back. They fall away and then come back. It's but by the grace of God, the kindness of heaven, to look down at the fallen state of men. And as we read last week, it said in his word that even before we were formed, he chose in advance to redeem us. That before we even knew we were going to fall, before we even fell, redemption was already in motion. For he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Before you even gave us life, you redeemed us, God. And by your blood, we become children of the Most High God. The old has passed away. Every previous deed, every previous thought, every stain, everything that we owed a price for, the sin that dominated in our thoughts and our lives, you have washed off of us. It has no claim to us, and every accusation thrown against us from the enemy is thrown on a dead man, and that man no longer lives, but a new creature lives in Christ Jesus, and this new creature has been washed, forgiven, and claimed by your blood. Father, we take this now, and we thank you. We are saved, we are born again, we are redeemed, and we belong to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to River Claremont's podcast. We pray you were greatly blessed by this message. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's happening at the River Claremont Church, visit us at riverclaremont.com.